When the flood ended and Noyach had built an altar to God, the Torah in Perakhes chapter 8, verse 22, Pasukhov Beis, tells us that God said, So long as the earth exists, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night, loyish boisu shall not cease. This verse is the source of a lesson taught in the Gemara, in Sanhedrin, in the name of Reish Lakesh, that a ben Noyach, a Gentile, who observes Shabbos, is liable to receive the death penalty for v'yoyim v'layla loyish boisu, day and night will not cease or rest. This is interpreted homiletically to mean that the descendants of Noyach may not take this day of rest. Omar Mar and Mar says that this warning is their death penalty. The Gemara then continues and teaches, Ravina says, if a descendant of Noyach observes a day of rest on any day of the week, even a day not set aside for religious worship, Perhaps like on a Monday, he is still liable. He is not permitted to do so. Rashi explains this saying that Ravina is teaching something new here, that the warning of Loyish Boisu forbids the Gentile from rest not only on the day of Shabbos or even on Sunday, which is the Christian day of rest, but from rest in this world. For they may not absolve themselves of work on any day. A perusal of the Rambam's explanation, however, seems to state that the prohibition of rest for a Gentile is not because he's not permitted to rest in this world, but rather because they may not create a new faith with new commandments. Therefore, the law that a Gentile who rests even during the week is deserving of death because he chose to make himself a day like Shabbos. And so, according to the opinion of Maimonides, so he may not rest, means that Bnei Noyach, a Gentile, may not observe Shabbos nor designate a different day to be like Shabbos. What, though, does the Rambam's explanation actually have to do with the words Loyish Baisu and Torah, which come to tell us that there will be no interruption and no ceasing of the natural order of the world ever again as God created it? There's a likely connection, according to Rashi's explanation, that rest in this world is forbidden, for they may not absolve themselves of work. Loyish Baisu, God says, there will not be a desisting of the activity of the natural order, and therefore there should not be a desisting from work. Rashi, in fact, explains Loyish Baisu that there will no, be no break in the flow, not only as relevant to the six seasons, sea time and harvest, cold and hot, as it says in the Pasuk, summer and winter, but also to people, that people too should not desist or rest from their labor. 
That's unlike Maimonides, the Rambam's opinion, who says that the warning lo to the Gentile doesn't mean one cannot desist from work, but rather one may not designate a day like Shabbos. And the connection between this opinion and the meaning of lo in the verses, in the verse as it pertains to the seasons, is really difficult to understand. This lesson on Layish Baisu is taught in the Medrash Meisraba as well, on the verse in the Parsha of Beshalach that states, Ru ki Hashem nosan lochem es Shabbos. Behold, says Meisha to the nation, God has given you the Shabbos. The Medrash teaches, to you God gave the Shabbos, not to the Gentile nations of the world. And so if a Gentile comes and keeps Shabbos, Not only will he not receive reward, but he will also be liable for death. For it says, Neither day nor night will desist. This too is what is meant in the words, This is a sign between myself, says God, and the Jewish nation. And the parable that suits this is of a king and queen, who sit facing one another, and a random person walks between them. This person is to be punished. While the Medrash connects Loyish Baisu for the Gentile with Ru'u ki Hashem nasan lachem es Shabbos, behold, God has given you, the Jew, Shabbos, it does not negate the statement in the Gemara. The Medrash is just adding that the idea The Medrash is just adding that the idea that it, Shabbos, was given to you and not to the Gentile isn't only about the day of Shabbos, the seventh day, but it's also about this day as a day of rest, no matter the day, as the Gemara indeed teaches, even Monday. Accordingly, we understand that, according to the Medrash, like the Rambam, the prohibition regarding Shabbos is not that the Gentile cannot rest in this world, as Rashi says, but rather they may not make a day like Shabbos. The difference between the Medrash and the Rambam, however, is that according to Maimonides, the prohibition isn't celebrating a day like Shabbos because one doesn't lead a Gentile onto a religious path or a Gentile is not permitted to create a religion and his own mitzvahs. And the Medrash, on the other hand, teaches that the concept of Shabbos is Baini Ubein B'nai Yisrael, only for the Jew and not the Gentile. So in addition to the question we've asked, how the opinion of Maimonides connects to the intention of the words Lo in the verse, we want to understand the connection between the prohibition of making a Shabbos-like day, and the words and their simple meaning, the loyish baisu. Why is a Gentile to be so deprived or denied a day like Shabbos at all, any day? In fact, the question is greater yet. When we consider that Shabbos was the day God rested from creating, that's not just for Jews, like maybe celebrating leaving Egypt would be. It's about creation, 
and thus would seemingly have a connection to the Gentile as well. Yet, the halacha, the law is that a Gentile may not keep a Shabbos or, and desist from work. This is even more surprising when we consider that on Shabbos, Jews were commanded not to work so as to establish in our souls the faith of God's renewal of the universe or God's creation of the universe, to believe that the world was brought into existence and created by God. So by prohibiting Shabbos for a Gentile, we seem to actually be preventing that faith in the world, in the world's creation by God, from becoming manifest in a Ben Noyach. To understand this, we will first seek to understand the two aspects of the change that occurred in the universe after the flood. On one hand, the world acquired what it had not had, a promise and a strength that God would never desist in the ongoing flow of creation and of nature, before the flood, though God looked at creation and declared it very good, it was vulnerable through sin to change and disruption. But after the flood, God swore and made a covenant that he would not, no matter the state of the world and mankind, bring the order of nature to an end or nullify it. On the second hand, we see that after the flood, the world itself experienced a weakening, as the Ramban, Nachmanides, teaches, that until the flood, mankind lived very long years, and after the flood, and onwards, the length of lifespans has continually shortened. The explanation for this is that as the world was created for Torah, so much so that God made a condition for creation to exist only if the Jewish nation would accept the Torah at Matan Torah, at the time of the giving of the Torah at Sinai, which was the moment of merging higher worlds and lower worlds, the actual fulfillment of their creation that comes through their merging for the purpose of Torah. These two aspects in the world's experience, in the world experience change from what was before to what became after the flood. Before the flood, the world had a higher world conditioning. And after the flood, this changed to a lower world conditioning. How do we see this play out? What is the impact of this shift on the world? And how does this help us understand loyish Baisu? So Hashem says, He will never again bring a flood to destroy the earth. And as a covenant with the earth, in Peretes, in chapter 9, in verse Yud Gimel, Pasuk Yud Gimel, verse 13, Hashem says, Es kashti nosati ba'onan, My rainbow I've placed in the cloud. Lois bris beini uvein ha'aretz, as a covenantal sign between myself and the earth. Commentaries question this covenant and ask the following. A rainbow is a natural occurrence. The sun's rays 
diffract via the clouds. How is this a covenantal sign? To which they answer that the rainbow and its diffraction was created only after the flood. The atmosphere and the cloud cover pre-flood was too dense for the sunlight to diffract via the clouds. And so there was no possibility for a rainbow. But once the world became cleansed through the flood and the clouds became less dense, more refined, the experience of a rainbow became possible. It would be the same spiritually. Before the flood, the world was at a lowly level. Man and indeed the world could not be cleansed, and therefore a flood came upon the world to cleanse the earth for the work of purification to take place. Therefore, a rainbow becomes the sign of a covenant between God and the earth because it symbolizes the purification and the cleansing of the earth. What's complex here is that the flood came to purify the earth only because the generation pre-flood caused the earth to become corrupt before God and the earth became full of thievery, says the Torah. But the rainbow as a symbol of that which was possible post-flood speaks of a purity that didn't even exist pre-flood, even with a very onset of creation. How do we understand this? At the onset of creation, the wholeness in the world was not connected to earthly or nature-centric characteristics. Rather, creation was in a state of God-centricity, and it was whole. For the world itself to then reach purification and cleansing required a flood, which brought a divine infusion of a new characteristic or quality, empowering the world to purify itself. This is why the rainbow became a reality then. While the rainbow is formed through the rays of the sun and the atmosphere, it's mostly a product of cloud formation, less so of sun rays. The rays are simple, not complex, and in fact, in spirituality, represent the pure light of the divine. They become diffracted and scattered, becoming the many shades of a rainbow among the clouds, which are formed by vapor rising up from the earth. It's in this mist of clouds that the light is reflected. So because the nature of purifying the earth for the world to acquire the possibility of purification happened after the floods, the sign of the covenant was something that occurred in a mist that rises up from the earth particularly there, in the mist from the now refined earth is where the sunlight would be reflected and the rainbow appear. Accordingly, we can better understand why God's supernal will, which was present in the beginning of creation to create the world, did not prevent the decree of the world wiping itself out when the world became filled with evil, and why after the flood, God made a covenant 
that even if the world comes to a state where divine thought would be to bring darkness and desolation to the world, mankind would never again be cut off. We mentioned earlier that because of the state of wholeness of the world, it's God-centricity, so to speak, and a creative energy that came not from the world, but flowing from the Creator. Sin in this world impacted the world, causing distance between world and Creator and God's desire. The impact was so great that purification was not possible. The sins of the generation that lived before the flood were so damaging to the world that the earth itself became filled with lawlessness, which is in fact the deeper reason that Nayak's warnings to the people that God was bringing a flood upon them did not arouse them to repentance from their ways. When they were not aroused or motivated to repent and to return to God, Rather, they remain distant. The desire for creation left God, and he regretted creating man. On the other hand, after the flood, the world developed the capacity for elevation and refinement. Even when things are bleak and dark, return is possible. Hence the covenant, no matter the world's status, never to cut mankind off from this world, and to never again flood the world. Accordingly, we can understand that these two states that represent an altered world after the flood, the state of a strengthened reality, a world whose seasons would never desist, and the opposite state of weakening, the weakening of lifespans of man, the lifespan of man becoming shorter, do not negate one another. Not only don't they negate one another, but they both flow from the same post-flood new earth vigor. To explain, before the flood, the earth existed because this was the Creator's will. For God is a chafetz chesed. He seeks to bestow kindness. But after the flood and the new purified state of the world, God keeps the world existing because of the world's own state of purity. This results in these two states, where on one hand the world has made itself ready and worthy for God's essential unchanging wholeness and for continued existence with no rest and no desisting for this wholeness. And on the other hand, it's the worldliness that now supports creation that actually presents with weakness as seen in the shortened lifespans of mankind. Pre-flood, the world existed only on God's kindness, which resulted in the long lifespans, as we're taught in Tikkunei Zayar, that it was Hashem's forbearance that resulted in long lives. The two stages, pre-flood and, so to speak, the higher, elevated world order, and post-flood, and the lower world order, were in fact a preparation for the third stage that preceded and were preparation for the giving of the Torah. The 2,000 years of Torah 
that began when Avraham was 52 years old and began to bring people to God, and for the unifying of higher and lower worlds at Matan Torah. It's for this reason that Avraham and Sarah only had Yitzchak in their older years, Sarah at 90, Avraham at 100, just like people did before the flood when they lived very long lives. This represents a bonding of the two eras, the time before the flood, the higher world time, and after the flood, the lower world time. Yitzchak's birth, the birth of the first Jewish child, whose descendants would receive the Torah, thus reveals the ultimate unification that would be achieved at Matan Torah, the merging of higher and lower worlds. Now we return to the Shvisa, the idea of Shabbos, the rest that our Sicha begins with. For the lower and higher transcendent states to join, the world was intentionally created with the experience of Shvisa, with desisting from creative work. Rashi explains this when he explains the verse, and God ceased or ended on the seventh day. Rashi asks, what was the world lacking? And he explains the world lacked rest. Shabbos came and rest came. All work was completed and finished. Only with rest, the absence or the retraction of real time, can the world's creation be considered to have ended. And every week we experience this anew, just like the very first week, the seven days of creation, our seven-day week, concludes with menucha, with rest. This isn't an experience, though, that can be seen with a fleshly eye. The day of Shabbos is spiritually more elevated than the prior six days and can only be observed in the spiritual experience of world. From a physical vantage point, there is no discernible difference in the day itself. But a Jew who connects the lower and higher realm, realms through Torah experiences Shabbos as a reality. The additional soul a Jew is given on Shabbos changes even the nature of our animal soul. And this can even be experienced in our body's natural senses. The world in general, though, with its intense limitations of time and space and the inclination for movement versus rest, cannot reflect the idea of transcendent rest. And this is why a ben noyach, a Gentile, cannot rest on Shabbos or even make Shabbos on another day. The intention of creation is for the world, including the world of humankind, to be constantly engaged in endeavors that sustain existence. And into this constant motion, a Jew ushers in the rest of Shabbos that transcends world and activity. So if a Gentile changes his pattern because he wants to create a Shabbos in his world, he is deserving of death because he's jeopardizing his existence and his very purpose. 
Hence, the teaching in the Gemara is sourced in this verse in our Parsha and the words, Veloyishboisu speaks of no rest for the seasons, for the experience of space and time, day and night. A ben noyach may not desist from work under this experience of Veloyishboisu, the ongoing flow of the seasons. Once the flood passed and God set the world to function, at its highest capacity of strength and existence, a Gentile is forbidden to bring the world into a state of rest, a state that has no limitations because the conflict, excuse me, because this conflicts with and is incompatible with the flow of the world as it flows from the unceasing, unchanging source of Havaya.